back for our season two finale episode, everyone. Woo-hoo. We made it. <laughs> we did it. We, did uh, it. we should probably start by just kind of talking late, about we like, got here. Yeah, like, <laughs> why this episode is coming out a little late. Um, I don't know if anyone has ever been in a finals week season before, <laughs> but if you're yeah. listening, you probably have, and... Life happens, things come up, and sometimes you need to prioritize having space. Um, And so we all just kind of decided that we didn't have the capacity to put out an episode we were ready to put out yet, and Mm -hmm. we are here now. You know, yeah, that takes into account everything that we kind of put out there. We thought we should kind of model that to give us, like you mentioned, space. Also, life happens, we have things to do, this is coordinating the busy schedules of four graduate students which is so hard like i'm shocked we've been able to do it this long honestly yeah (laughs) i want to continue to do it uh. (laughs) you mean we're at the end of our second year you know second i was talking to a professor the other day and i was like you know second year still sounds like a baby a little bit like we're still like we're good third year like we're an adult yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what i mean like 19 still a baby but like you have to like 21 22 like you're an adult now yeah yeah and like because we're gonna stop taking as many classes Mm -hmm. and things are gonna like focuses are gonna shift a little bit and it's a lot more prioritizing and like planning on our end. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have been talking about the steps that I need to take to, to really become an independent researcher, which is a terrifying phrase for me. Yeah, we start to move away from stuff that we know, like classes, weekly meetings, and moving on to these like larger things in our program. So nerve wracking, but exciting, and mm-hmm. we're here. We're here. And we're here to, well, first of all, before we even get into what we're going to talk about this episode, I feel like we have some updates to share, mainly circling back to our grant writing episode. Dallas did get the GRFP from NSF, which is super exciting. Yeah, thank you guys. That was definitely super stressful stuff, and then it's it's kind of nice to get that, and now that gives, you know, takes away... One worry kind of off of my plate, finances being a big thing. So, I mean, highly recommend. It's a nice financial aid there <laughs> if you're able to apply for that and go through go through that process. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, plugging back to our episode, you can get some tips there of kind of what helped me. And then if people think it could be helpful, this is something I could totally revisit. Maybe I'll plan a blog post on our website, something to kind of, um, hopefully my experiences can inform yours and we can have a lot of very successful, diversified, exciting science like out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's been a while since yeah. we've been here and I, it's like, I kind of forget, but here we are super blessed, but I'm always, always open to helping others in case people want to reach out to. I'm pretty findable on the internet, I find. I <laughs> Google myself sometimes. You have a unique name. I do. <laughs> yeah. Coming from an Emily Johnson. <laughs> you know, it's actually more common than you would think because I have a very common last name, but I'm still Fair. pretty easily found, if you know who I am, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting to what we decided to cover in our finale episode is we talk a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about uh, being graduate students in a pretty traditional PhD academic program, but that is 
far from the only thing that you can do graduating with a STEM degree. And we have some friends that um, we know from our STEM programs, from other places that we've met that have done other really cool things with their backgrounds in science. And so we decided that we wanted to talk to them and get their get a sense into what their path looked like and their discernment, because we've talked a lot about ours, but um, not everyone is interested in going the direction we're going, so. I think this episode also comes at a very great time, given that it's kind of that grad season, and some people are graduating, like, undergrad, and like, what do I want to do? You can move forward into some of these further steps. Of course, we we're, like, totally biased into what we do in our, like, mentioned traditional <laughs> I mean, yeah, paths, was, was but... Like fast, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just, we just kind of love it, you know? <laughs> but this hopefully can open up some paths for other people, maybe things you haven't thought about before or maybe even heard of. I remember being in elementary school, teachers mentioning some of you guys will have jobs that don't even exist right now and stuff. Like, you just don't know what's out there, so hopefully this can open things up. That was really deep, Odell. <laughs> Sorry! <Yeah. laughs> I love it, though. <laughs> well, uh, the, the first person that I talked to um, definitely went a direction that people have heard of, but I don't, I think he has a very unique perspective in how he got to that path. So I talked to my friend Matt, who is uh, an M2 at um, Washington University, St. Louis. I think that's what the school's name is. Um, so he is a second year medical student there in St. Louis. And Matt and I met uh, during orientation at the University of Minnesota. We met like day one. Um, and then we actually ended up being in the same um, Lutheran Campus Ministries group at the University of Minnesota. And so we spent a lot of time having discussions at the intersection of faith and science because we were both genetics, cell biology, and development majors. And so he was in a lot of my classes. And then I saw him a lot at church. And so it was. A really, I think, a really important person to have as I was going through the intersection of science and religion as an undergrad. So, hopefully, a lot of people probably know people that are wanting to go to medical school. And so, Even hopefully, then, this though, brings a new perspective <laughs> to what that process looks like. Yeah, like you mentioned, a new perspective, but also just a perspective. Sometimes people don't know that. So, I know I would learn a lot. I don't no idea what medical school is like so hearing from somebody who's already in it and their perspective and getting there definitely a good good view yeah and matt was also a member of the university of minnesota marching band so if you (laughs) if you watched the super bowl performance of justin timberlake at the super bowl in minneapolis the university of minnesota marching band performed with them so he also has met a celebrity that i'm like pretty jealous (laughs) (laughs) or was in the same room at the very least So, like I said, these are questions that I probably know the answer to some of them, but for the sake of people who uh, didn't sit right next to us in biochemistry, um, (laughs) what did you get your undergrad degree in? I got a degree in uh, genetics, cell biology, and development. It was a bachelor of science degree, and uh, I learned religious studies on the side. Oh, I forgot about the religious studies. I totally remember that now that you say that, but yeah, we were GCD twins. So <laughs> I realized that I think most of the people I'm reaching out for this were GCD people. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I had fun with it. It's a, it's a very versatile degree that I don't think people 
genetics is kind of where things are going. Even my ecology friends are talking about genetics in their classes. And I'm like, see? <laughs> That's worth something. Well, what are you up to now? Well, I uh, took a gap year after college, and then I started medical school at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. I'm um, in my second year there. Uh, and in January, started a phase of our curriculum with uh, clerkships, which are clinical courses where most of our time is spent in hospitals or clinics and having a lot of patient care time. And how did you decide you wanted to go to medical school, be a doctor? It was a long process of slowly I figured out that, hey, this is the thing I want to do. Uh, there wasn't one particular light bulb moment. It was uh, a lot of small influences over time. Uh, I, I figured out I, in general, like science stuff. I, I wanted to have a career that was uh, like intellectually, academically challenging. Uh, I wanted to have an aspect to my job that, that was directly helping people. And uh, I wanted to, like on that note, be interacting with the people that I was helping. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I, I could have thought about other things like a research career or something like that, but uh, I knew that it, it would be very important to me to, to actually meet and work with, talk with the, the people that I was helping to serve. So uh, eventually those th things all pointed to medicine. Awesome. And you kind of touched on this, but were there any other paths you considered? Why? Did you choose not to go that way? Um, it, there were others that um, I had considered at, at one time. Um, uh, at one, one point in high school, I thought about being an engineer. Uh, and, then, and then I realized that I, I, I liked some uh, aspects of healthcare a little a uh, little better than engineering, kind of for the reason I, I just said, where I, I wanted to uh, work more in a direct service profession um, and just engineering as a whole didn't have uh, as much of that as I wanted. Um, I also think um, at one point I, I considered uh, pursuing like seminary for my church. Uh, but I ended up also deciding that I wanted uh, to go more into healthcare because I, I liked the um, some of the academic content that I was getting to work with there and, um, a little more than uh, what I would have gotten to do every day as a minister. I have been directed to seminary several times <laughs> by various people along my academic career so that's it's interesting how some of those things can like exist in intersection with identities in science too and there aren't we actually did a whole episode on like being a person of faith and being spiritual in graduate school because in the sciences there aren't a lot of us <laughs> no it, it yeah it, that was definitely a, a thing that I thought about 
quite a bit in college and and still do here. Uh, I mean, uh, for me, like one of the biggest tenets of faith for me is like service to others. And so why not, why not do that through a job every day? And this for me was a great way to do it. I love that. Um, what do you wish you knew then? So as a little gopher <laughs> way back, um, what do you wish you knew then um, that you know now pursuing medicine? As an M2. A, you'll be fine. You'll get there. <laughs> B, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And C, take time to relax along the way because that's actually worth a lot. Along the way, probably didn't learn as early as I wish I would have that relaxing, taking time to socialize, recharge uh, is like it. It's good for its own sake, and it's it's good for the sake of whatever professional goals you might have to, instead of seeing, you know, relaxation and socialization as taking away from whatever else you're doing. No, it's it, keep yourself a whole person and keep yourself well, and it also can then spill over because of those benefits and be good for your professional endeavors too. Definitely. We talk about that all the time. <laughs> it's okay to take a break and not say yes to everything. Hence why I'm going to trivia tonight. <laughs> oh, it's Monday night. I think it's trivia tonight in Fargo too. Nice. Maybe I can send some friends to go. We go every once in a while. Oh, that's fun. Um, and Kind of my last question, we can see um, where you take this. But so our, our podcast is called The Scientists in Training because while we are scientists and we're in graduate school, we're still kind of ever training, evolving, bad use of the word evolving from a biologist, but, um, <laughs> you know, we're changing, growing, um, getting more training as scientists. So what does being a scientist mean to you? To me, especially in the field I'm in, it's being curious and it's being humble about what you don't yet know. And it's really taking an evidence-based approach to your practice and, and, and realizing the, the strength of the evidence that you have for a given decision. In, in healthcare especially, there is a lot of room for the, the art of medicine. And it's a, a really important part of what you learn in, in medical school is um, like mm, knowing how to make decisions to treat your patients given the fact that you have li limited evidence but but also to know, hey, we actually have a lot of evidence for this this type of decision. We should be doing it that way and not in the way that you know tradition might have said we would have done it however many years ago. you know, follow the evidence when it's there, know when you don't have the evidence for a decision 
and and then make recommendations to your patients and, and explain to them the level of evidence that you might have and, and why you would recommend to do or not do a given thing. Yeah, um, my, I talked to my friend Jade. Um, as you know, we have talked a lot being psychology that we are not counselors, but Jade is in the clinical mental health counseling program at North Dakota State University. Um, I met her my first year as an undergraduate. We worked in the same lab, um, and she has always just been absolutely fantastic. Counseling fits her perfectly, and I think it's really good to have that um, perspective considering we've talked about counseling so much and we've talked about a lot about how we ourselves are not in the counseling program um so i thought it was important to make that noted and kind of understand what the process is um going into the counseling program she had very important notes about what her process is what was like and looking for schools and finding which schools fit her well um she is in her first year and enjoying it very much so um, actually, if you want to introduce yourself first. Yeah, um, my name is Jade. I am a first year student in the clinical mental health master's program at North Dakota State University. Um, yeah, I have five animals. I love that. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, um, so what did you get your undergraduate degree in? And then if you got any minors too with it? Yeah, I got my undergraduate degree in psychology and women and gender studies. So I was a double major. And then I had a minor in neuroscience. And I know you said that you're in the counseling program now. So I guess that kind of um, leads to what you're up to now. But what, how did you decide to pursue this path? Or, and are there any other paths you thought about taking um, before you joined? Yeah, so I decided to pursue this path because when I was like 16, I think I took an intro to psych class in my high school. Um, and I really liked that. And I really liked when we were discussing mental disorders. Um, and so I knew I wanted to do something with mental health. Um, I initially thought I was gonna get a PhD in clinical psychology. And then I decided to just start with a master's because clinical um, psych acceptance rates are really, really low. And I don't want to put all the time and energy necessarily into it um, and like devote the time just for the program itself if I wasn't 100% sure it was what I wanted to do. So I decided to go the master's route because acceptance rates are still like, like they're competitive programs, um, but it would be a shorter time frame and I would be able to kind of see if this was something I wanted to do before I committed. Yeah. Um, before... I came to this conclusion. I really wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, <laughs> I'm big into sharks. Like I <laughs> talk about sharks all the time. One of our podcast members is terrified of sharks. So oh no! <laughs> well, I could tell them all the reasons why sharks are less likely to kill them than a koala. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I want to be a marine biologist. But in order to do that, I didn't want to study like lakes, rivers, ponds. I wanted to study the ocean because again, sharks. So I would have to go out of state and out of state schools that have marine biology programs that focus on the oceanic area, very expensive. Um, and so I said, absolutely not, not today. <laughs> and then I thought about clinical PhD in psychology, um, decided to put that on pause for now. 
Um, the only other thing I really thought about actively, like before deciding mental health was potentially becoming like going just for music. I played flute very religiously in high school. Um, and so I had thought maybe just getting a performance degree in instrumental music. But then I said, mm, maybe a slightly more stable income would be nice. <laughs> so now I'm here. Now you're here. Now I'm here. And how has your first year been? Um, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been a lot easier than I thought it would be, but it's also been a lot harder. Um, <laughs> in my undergrad, I was told by all my professors, like, oh, you were literally built for grad school. Like, you're going to do just fine. And I think, like, had I gone into something, like, I know you're studying psychology, kind of more on, like, the research side of things. Like, if I did that, I would probably think it's a bit more difficult, a bit more, like, in, like, the sense of, like, what I'm producing academically. Yeah. Um, but this is a bit more hard because it's a lot of like reflecting and being really, really comfortable with yourself and your emotions and being really vulnerable. And then like learning that you actually have to take care of yourself every once in a while. And that self-care isn't always bubble baths. It's sometimes <laughs> doing the dishes. <laughs> so first year is taking care of yourself so then you can take care of others. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Is there anything that you wish you had known about this path before you started pursuing, um, whether it comes to like the application process? How was that like um, just being in the school? I know you did your undergraduate year too, so you didn't have the, the moving process was different than some people. Yeah, I guess um, like during the application process, I like kind of knew, but like didn't fully understand how important accreditation is going to be. Um, I had applied to a few schools that weren't accredited um, or had disguised themselves as being accredited. Um, so for um, clinical counseling master's degrees, um, that could be school counseling, it could be school psychology, clinical mental health counseling, addictions, whatever floats your boat. Um, it needs to be accredited by KCREP, which is the counseling accreditation. I don't know what, um, but KCREP is very important because a lot of states now are only letting you get your licensure for being a counselor if you have a KCREP accredited degree. Otherwise, you have yeah. to like keep track of all of your syllabi, all of your coursework, and prove that the program you went to was producing and like following certain guidelines. And a lot of schools I went to, um, I didn't initially look at the KCREP website to see like, oh, this person, like these schools were accredited last at this time and then their accreditation ends or is up for renewal at this time. Um, I just went with what school's website said, which is very interesting I never yeah I never would have thought about that yeah yeah it's it's really interesting to me that a lot of counseling programs are disguising themselves as credit uh KCREP accredited I applied for a few that were like oh we're a KCREP based program or um we follow KCREP guidelines they never said KCREP accredited but if you aren't super familiar with the field you're just gonna oh, assume yeah. that it means you're accredited um and a big thing about counseling is ethics like you have to be very very ethical and you never make that loan decision um, and you want to do what's best for the client. And the school that you're applying for is basically treating you as a client. So then how is it fair for them to disguise themselves? Because grad school is expensive. Like, the, yeah. you're, you're going to be forking over money. Um, 
how is it ethical for them to then say they're KCREP accredited and that you could likely find a job? Um, there's another school in the state that is that has a program like ours that is not KCREP accredited. They say they're KCREP based, um, but in the state of North Dakota, you would be able to get a license um, and work as a counselor if you stayed in North Dakota. If yeah. you wanted to go to other states, it might be a bit more difficult. Um, Ohio, I want to say, like, is for sure a state that has a firm requirement that you have to come from a KCREP program. Okay. So it's just a little tricky. So just being mindful of what your, like, licensure is going to require depending upon the state that you want to practice yeah. in. Um, definitely something I wish I would have focused a bit more on when I was applying because I could have saved myself some money. Yeah. My school is that <laughs> really goofy. Um, I guess the only other thing in like the applying process is just that like you have to be so incredibly patient and <laughs> yep. you have to because like you apply at like x point in time and then once the applications close like then they're reviewing it and depending on how many applicants they have that could take a month and then you have the interview process which is going to take up like at least a half chunk of your day, if not more, um, if you're factoring in like travel and stuff. Some schools will offer Zoom options. And then from there, you have another like chunk of waiting time because they won't direct, at least at NDSU, they can't directly tell you that you got accepted. They have to submit their accepts and denies to our graduate school. Yep. And then the graduate school has to process those accepts and denies. And then the graduate school sends you an email and then you have to log into the email to see the paper um, about your acceptance. So it's it's a very long process and it's very like up in the air about what you'll do for the next X amount of years of your life. So yeah. Um, the other thing I, I've, I'm fortunate to like sit on the uh, interview side now um, in the program. And the other thing is, like genuinely be yourself um it's so like they're very nerve-wracking experiences like everyone is stressed that's a given it is so obvious to tell everyone is like nervous but we can also tell very very quickly if you're just putting up a front or just like not being authentic to yourself um and that's a concern because you're going to show up to people who are also potentially not being authentic with themselves or going through really hard times. So how can you in good faith counsel them if you aren't comfortable in yourself? So yeah. definitely being comfortable um, and not like trying to act as if you're like someone completely different. Like if you are like, oh, what I'm saying is hundred percent not what I'm actually like in like the classroom or in life, like it's going to be weird for everyone involved. So <laughs> yeah. How was the interview process like for you? Yeah, um, I was fortunate that I only had to sit through it once. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did too. So, yep. Yeah, I um, I heard from NDSU first. I applied to three schools um, and I had like life things. I'm in a very long-term relationship. I have five animals. I like had all of these things and my partner and I had like discussed like if I got into a different school, I, and I really like that school more, like I 100% like could pursue that, like we would be long distance for the time that it took. Um, but I just ultimately was like, okay, I got into NDCU, I'm going to stay. So <laughs> I didn't entertain the thought of interviews. And it was also weird because 
NDSU offered me an interview first. I did the interview process and got my acceptance before I heard from the other two schools mm-hmm. about being offered interviews. Um, so it's just kind of like a weird thing. But the interview process for me um, was stressful in the sense that it was over Zoom. So I was interviewing right as we were coming out of the COVID pandemic. Um, I would argue that we're still in it, but that's a different situation. <laughs> um, so I, and I'm sure every school will do it a little bit different, but like you start out, like they give you kind of like a brief overview. Um, our program does give you like a timeline of when you should expect to hear things. And if you are accepted, then like what to expect just because we want to get information out on like orientation dates and everything as soon as possible. So you can incorporate that into your planning. Um, and then we did a group activity because you will more than likely be working in a group situation when you're counseling, whether it be you leading a group counseling session or just working in a group office, especially when you're starting out as a counselor, like you can't just get your degree and then say you're a counselor, you have to be supervised to get your license. Um, so they do a group project that that was very stressful because I'm very competitive and I was losing and then I won. So it's fine. Um, and then there was um, like individual interviews with faculty um, and you were just the way we did it was split up by alphabetical last name and then you just were with random faculty because all of our faculty will teach you at some point. Um, and that was really stressful because it wasn't articulated whether or not I was supposed to time it or she was supposed to time it. And we both weren't paying attention at the time. Um, so literally, like, we were, like, bouncing back and forth between the main room and our interview room because she wasn't sure if she could get to all the questions. And I was just like, this is not ideal. <laughs> Obviously, it worked out. But um, and then after that, like, there hopefully is going to be current students when you interview. So then you can ask mm-hmm. them, like, questions like what is it like like how do you get along with your cohort are the faculty awful like what is funding like and everything I would be a little concerned if they aren't having current students present when you interview especially in a counseling program um or if they don't provide you ways to contact current students because then it kind of seems as if potentially like people don't get along they don't mm-hmm. care about their students' opinions. Um, at NDSU, they really value what we have to say and what's going on in our lives. Um, so, yeah, but that was the interview process. And then I probably heard, I was fortunate that it was speedy, speedy process. I heard like two weeks later that I got in. Oh, wow. um, very stressful email because, again, I had to like tap. You have to like log all the way in. See if I was accepted. I was like, this is so nerve wracking. <laughs> this is the um, longest process ever. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was the interview process for me. Um, and it's basically the same for like the in-person process and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we just have one last question. So unless there's anything else um, you're going to normally say, any that you kind of throw out some tips, tricks, and things that yeah. you've never heard about. No, I, I think... Um, the only other like tips or tricks would be like to get in a self-care habit sooner rather than later so you don't burn out. Burnout is a very real thing in the counseling field. Um, there are studies like that interview people who are in it for 30 years and they're like, what has made you stay? Because most people quit after like five or 10. And those people are like, well, take care of myself. Duh. Um, <laughs> and 
being trauma-informed is very important. Everyone has trauma and don't minimize their trauma. I think it's really mm -hmm. in like casual conversations with friends, like you could be complaining about like this test or like, you don't know where you're going to live. And someone could be like, well, it could be worse. Like that's just, don't do that in a counseling session. Like everyone's thoughts, experiences and stuff is valid. Um, and you are going to deal with people who have trauma. So if your program doesn't offer trauma classes, you should definitely be getting some sort of trauma education because being trauma-informed is so important. Um, and talk to your professors. They want, I think what's so unique about counseling programs is they want you to succeed and they mm -hmm. view you as a person um, before a student. Um, NDSU, part of the motto is like, we're a student-focused school. Um, but like my program, they like, I could email them and say, hello, life's not great. I just need like an extension and as long as you communicate and you're taking that like they'll be like okay have fun and then I hear friends from other programs at NDSU or even just like other schools like if they were to do that they would be like flamed ridiculed not great um so definitely like reach out to your faculty and talk to them I'm like half of my professors are like oh call me doctor first name here or just my first name um and we're all very very close so yeah, our department's like that too, and it's really nice to yeah. have faculty who will back you up when needed and support you. So mm -hmm. definitely important. Yes. All right. So our last question. I mean, this is kind of a roundabout question, but mm -hmm. what does being a scientist mean to you? Yeah, I think having just like an innate curiosity about something, whether it be sharks or <laughs> health or why tables are the way they are. Um, just being curious and pursuing that curiosity. Because um, scientists are in every field. So yeah. if you have a curiosity and you can pursue it and you can find ways to study it, research it, um, that is being a scientist, but also like actively going to school and learning, like I would be shocked if there wasn't a program where you had to do some sort of research project. Like mm -hmm. everyone is a scientist in different ways. Just some of us hold the title. So as long as you have curiosity, you're, okay. you're studying it. Yeah. That's the definition. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, the second person that I talked to is uh, one of my dear friends, Kay. And uh, Kay and I actually met in a way that has nothing that seems directly related to science. Um, we actually met working on a presidential campaign. Um, she was working for the field team and I was a field team fellow, but uh, Kay graduated from Iowa State with her degree in genetics and I was also studying genetics at the time and we were both just so jazzed to meet someone else that is so invested in science but also so invested in politics and voting and how important those two things are together and I think Kay even says it in our conversation but she goes like I used to think I was unique and then I met Emily <laughs> and so we we have a lot of we care about a lot of the same things and she is currently working for a biotech company or medical device biotech company um, in Minneapolis and is also um, working on her master's of public health and so she is involved in science in a lot of different ways which is really cool and i was so glad to catch up with her again and 
she went the industry route. And so I think it's really cool to listen to someone who maybe even had different ideas for what she wanted to do with her STEM degree, but then ended up going a different direction. So. All right. So um, what did you get your undergraduate degree in? Yeah, I have an undergraduate degree in genetics from the Agriculture and Life Science College at Iowa State. It's primarily focused in um, evolutionary um, and analytical genetics. I also had a minor in political science, all focused on um, healthcare, healthcare systems, and how we use kind of healthcare in, in terms of government um, and, and how we can kind of do that within the science fields. Which was so exciting that we met for shared interest in genetics and politics. <laughs> and that was like, to know that there was another one. Was just right, like, it wasn't just me. It's not just me. <laughs> oh my God, for the longest time, it was just me at my, at my undergrad. Me and whatever, the 36 other thousand other students. And I was like, but there's just one. I was oh. truly unique until I met you. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, to be fair, I haven't met a lot of other ones. So I guess it's just the ones that pay attention. That's exactly right. Honestly. We're special. <laughs> and then what are you up to now? Yeah. Um, so I work in a medical device clinical research. So I manage and do primarily what's best kind of considered as project management with a um, clinical focus. So I don't really do anything with with laboratory or, or really anything that would be um, what I think most people would consider <laughs> what I what I left college to do. Um, so I primarily work with um, physicians um, that are working on clinical trials to bring either medical devices to market or looking to improve upon them or gain kind of more data as we do post-market analysis. Um, and then I guess in my spare time, uh, <laughs> I am working on my master's of public health and policy administration at the University of Minnesota. Oh, that's so exciting. Tara, the postdoc I work with, we joke like weekly that while we're still here, we both want to go get our MPHs just on the side because we are both so interested in yeah. that. Oh like, gosh, you learn a lot of really, I've learned a lot from, from my classmates as well as my professors, um, a lot more about programmatic things that I would not have otherwise thought about, like budgeting. How do you, how do you do management? How do you do quality systems improvement? A lot of different things that I actively use in my corporate job, um, but are, are kind of taken with a different twist. So more of a, a focus on health equity and, and really a focus on um, just how we can be better prepared for Maybe not the next disaster, probably the next health disaster, but, you know, <laughs> also just for everyday chronic conditions. How did you decide you wanted to pursue this path? And that's probably like a two-pronged question for you with the, the corporate and the MPH. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, I, uh, so I think it originally kind of came out of this idea of like, I, when I was still an undergrad, I really badly wanted to go into genetic counseling. 
Um, I, I think was we like, all did. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was like dead set <laughs> on it. I was like, I really want to go do um, high risk family planning. That was like my thing. I went and did an internship in shadowing at the University of Minnesota Health System, whatever it was called at the time. Um, and I was there for like a week and a half and I was like, this is not for me. This mm-hmm. is not, not it. I, I had like truly been focusing since like middle school on this. And this was like my summer of like my junior into senior year of my undergrad. And I was like, oh no. Um, yeah, I don't have a plan now, <laughs> like at all. And then I kind of like stumbled. I got really into, because I am super cool. I got really, really into um, like bioterrorism. I got super into mm-hmm. it. I thought it was super fascinating. Um, and that was like partially because I had been like really working and kind of like looking at how do we do health systems in terms of policy and more the political side and how do we really take science and, and make it really more easy to communicate. I really had this whole thing about how like, they put us in an ivory tower. We're not allowed to talk to other people. The way I sound is very different than a lot of my other students. Cause I don't sound like I live in a world of academia. I have a very like um, less than PG um, way of talking about things. <laughs> um, and so like, I, I do tend to have a little bit more of that stylistic. And so I found Dr. Elsterholm's book and I was like fascinated. I was like, this, mm. this is it. I want to go do this. I want to go work for BARDA. They're the single coolest government agency we have. <laughs> I know it's like probably known by very few people and now a lot more, um, but at the time I was like, that was, that was it. It was super, super cool. Um, and then I graduated and I was like, yeah, but I cannot afford grad school right now. So I'm going to find a way to get there, but I'm going to make somebody else pay for it. And that was like my whole thing. And so I, out of undergrad, took a job teaching public health and like basic science. It's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to go teach. I didn't like being a TA. It's not for me. Um, and then I was teaching high school students and I was like, also not for me. Um, I took an internship with a kind of a, a mutual connection of ours. So I, I took an internship for um, a senior senator of Minnesota, Senator Amy Klobuchar. I worked out of her Minnesota office. I got to work with some awesome healthcare groups through that. I got to really explore a lot of different pieces in terms of government and how we can kind of look at labor, how do we look at environmental, how do we do all these different things, how do we do communications, how do we do a whole bunch of different pieces like that, and I thought that was awesome, that was really cool, I was like, oh yeah, I could, I'd go work for government again, um, and then I also got a position over at, um, over at Medtronic, which is a large medical device company, um, and I was doing what they call an external research project, so it is investigator-led, um, investigator led almost exploratory but not exactly so they Mm -hmm. they are using devices to learn more about different disease states and how they can be used Um, and I was like that is super cool I loved working with our physicians I loved working with the graduate students there that for me was a lot of fun I was working with some really high caliber engineers um, and scientists that really 
I mean, they, they knew their shit, right? They knew it really, really well. And it was super interesting. And just getting to work with them was a lot of fun. Um, and so that was kind of where that sort of sparked. Um, and so I ultimately ended up leaving, um, going and doing some more government affairs work. Um, after that, met you, Emily, <laughs> doing a little bit more campaign work, um, which is something I don't think I would have foresaw myself doing, but um, I learned a lot <laughs> through that. I learned a lot. Um, I managed my first employee. I got to do a lot of like innovative things because when you work on a small team that has to be scrappy, you you have to be resourceful. And so um, you learn how to communicate, you learn how to problem solve, you learn how to critically think, you learn how to do a whole bunch of different things that you didn't think you knew how to do. Um, and learning how to translate that into something that isn't just purely political um, and learning how to do that. And so I kind of took all those experiences and I was like, okay, there's a lot here that I like, there are some things I don't like. So let's kind of pick pick that out. Um, and then when I moved back into clinical research over at, at at where I'm at currently, I was doing a little bit more of the, how can I be more effective? So um, I kind of made a pivot out of not really wanting to do counterterrorism, bioterrorism anymore, and really focused on how do we do, how do we do reimbursement in clinical trials in a more equitable way? So that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. And that's likely what my master's thesis is gonna be on is kind of like, where do we see the intersections of, of clinical medicine? So what we see is, is like, you know, going into the hospital, you have some sort of medical need. So you need some sort of, I don't know, um, like pacemaker, defibrillator, something like that, or you need some sort of, um, you have like Parkinson's disease or you have, um, you have epilepsy and you need some sort of like deep brain stimulation system, right? And how do we take a look at that and say, okay, yes, some of these are very much things we see in white people. <laughs> um, we mm -hmm. see a lot of that, especially in your, in your quote unquote elective procedure um, areas, right? And we know, I think we all know, and I'm not speaking for like an industry, I'm speaking as in like collective thought process, right? We all know that not just white people get these things, <laughs> you know, like other people do too. And so um, really looking at how do we, how do we think about transitioning just how do we do corporate and making that into something that is good for people, right? How do we make it more equitable? How do we get better access? How do we do better health access generally? And so that's kind of where they start to kind of collide, right? So they come back in a way. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I've always thrived in the area of like walk on two sides of the fence and then like just bring people with you. Eventually they'll get it. <laughs> Eventually mm -hmm. you'll meet an Emily and she'll also get it. There'll, there'll be few <laughs> of you, but <laughs> But eventually <laughs> somebody else will understand and there's like a method to the madness. Mm -hmm. So what do you wish you knew like when you were going to college, you've picked out this genetics degree. What do you wish you knew then that you know now about pursuing what you have decided to pursue? Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, we were talking about this before, before we started this. Um, grades are made up and they don't matter. 
Um, they're a lie. <laughs> no one cares since you have a job. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't know. Like, fifty percent of people like will tell you like you need to put your GPA on your resume, and then like the other half will be like, but like why? And I'm in the but like why category. Like, I've met and I've worked with very intelligent people that have fantastic undergrad and graduate performance grades, right? And I'm like, also though, you were both the smartest and dumbest people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. You know, like we all are excel at different things and, and don't excel at other things. And so I think that's one of them. Number two, genetics is a glorified biology degree. Um, <laughs> I remember like my parents would like walk around, they'd be like, and like they'd be talking to people that weren't like when I wasn't there and they'd be like yeah my daughter's getting a biology degree I'd be like no it's so much more than that it's genetics it's it's genetics and then like I mean you know in like the early I mean the mid-ish 2000s right so like I started in like 2013 people like they knew what genetics was but like they didn't really like know what it was like it especially if you're of an older generation, right? This is not in your science textbooks because like the human genome project was like a crazy thought up in the future, right? They might know mm-hmm. like, oh, Mendel did some things with peas, you know, like that was kind of like the thing that they knew, right? And so anytime that you kind of like have to like figure out how to like get yourself out of that little tiny bubble and like make yourself broader. Um, I think the third is, is like maybe really specific um, to me, but so like I, I mentioned earlier, right? So I have a degree from the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. Life Sciences, it covered like four majors in my college. Um, and I went to school in Iowa and I came back up to the, to the Twin Cities which is like very healthcare focused. And I was like, I'm gonna do healthcare. And a lot of people saw like College of Ag and they were like, you know corn. And I was like, I in fact very much do not. Um, I, I'm not a farmer. I don't really know how to farm. Um, I can like grow some plants, but like plant genetics and like everything else are like extremely different systems. They are not at all the same. I really cannot do plants actually. Um, And so like really convincing people that like, I could do healthcare stuff um, (laughs) was surprisingly difficult um, because again, corn and stuff. Um, But like, it then became a lot more of like, learn the skills. So like kind of take the skills you learn from undergrad and take them and put them into something that's useful elsewhere, right? So like, I have a good portion of my, of my like research, so like my published research and my like academic understanding is all in analytical and evolutionary. So I can analyze a paper day in, day out, right? Like I definitely, I know how to do that sort of thing, right? Doesn't matter if it's a genetics thing. I haven't touched genetics since 2017 when I graduated. I haven't, I mean, I wrote policy proposals when I was at the Senate office about genetic stuff, but like that was different, right? Like outside of that, I haven't touched genetics in a long time at this point, Um, but I still read papers for like the job that I do now, right? So like I primarily work in neurosciences. So um, I was able to take skills that I learned from my undergrad in a more analytical sense and transfer them. And so that's something I think I wish I would have known is like, 
take the skills that you learn and maybe not like the core academic concept, but take the skills out of it and you can kind of transfer it around. Yeah, that's, it's so, so here at NDSU, um, the microbiology department is with the College of Ag, but biology isn't. And so it's yeah. so interesting where, <laughs> that's how it was that they're even too. separate, <laughs> that microbiology is separate. And then like biochemistry is with the chemistry department, not with the biology department. It's, and there isn't like a genetics department here. It's just a biology. It's yeah, so interesting two, how different schools. Iowa State had two. So there's two separate majors for genetics. So like you had the ones that are College of Ag Life Science, and then you had those that are in liberal arts and sciences. And so like there okay. was both. And it was like slightly different, but not too terribly different. It has to do with like historical and like majors and stuff and how they were divided. Um, so like the one I was underneath is like, originally it was called like animal husbandry. <laughs> oh, again yeah. I was in ag school so like this was a very real thing but like I, I believe our too, microbiology yeah. was the same way it was in I think that was only in in ag though it wasn't in like uh, liver arts and sciences interesting yeah our yeah. ag building is like right right behind us, yeah. <laughs> us too. <laughs> no, it feels like just what I've heard from friends who went to Iowa State and then coming here now is that NDSU and Iowa State are very similar when it comes to a lot of things. I, yes, um, like I know very little about um, NDSU. I just like know from like my friends and family that went to UND. So I guess the worst thing that could possibly be said on this entire thing. Um, but like, they were always like, yeah, it's the pig school, it's the farm school. I'm like, but I went to a farm school. <laughs> There's a, what's, what's interesting is there's that, but um, the program that I'm in is discipline-based education research. There are very few programs like that anywhere in the country. Really? And that it's like NDSU is like my advisor is one of the most recognizable names in the field. And I don't think people at NDSU like realize that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, that's totally real though. Like one of my, like my best friend from high school, she did her undergrad in I believe like biology and education at NDSU and mm -hmm. she works for this charter school up in Bemidji and it's super cool like it's super super neat and so like they instead of like doing like biology out of like a textbook and it's like lame and boring um they like do something that like I kind of had so we had it as like AP environmental science when I was in high school and it was like they like learn about like ecology by like just canoeing down a river and they just like go out in the field and like she like takes a couple of students every year and they go and like work with one of her old professors she used to do research with and they like go out and study prairie burns and it's pretty awesome mm -hmm. like if I did biology like that like I think it would be so much more interesting um not to say like it wasn't interesting because I like did genuinely enjoy it as I, as I like literally went to school for it. But like, I mean, it's just a, such an innovative way to teach. And it's so cool to see other kind of like, you know, NDSU really taking like advantage of, of being in such an interesting like ecological area and, and mm -hmm. really showing like, look, like, this is how we can do education better. This is how we can do education in a more hands-on and effective way. Like, how many people can tell you, like, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? You know, like, 
that doesn't really matter that much, but like being able to, you know, go out and like actually understand what that concept means Mm -hmm. is so much more effective. (laughs) Like understanding that an mRNA vaccine isn't going to do anything to your genome. Jesus Christ. You know? (laughs) (laughs) If I have to hear one more person be like, like in fact I did did you know I used to work in a lab where I spent a lot of time with mRNA and look I'm still fine it's like right wild to them like knowing that like they let like an 18 year old like work with mRNA is like a dumbfounding concept for people and I think that's so funny it's I mean granted we weren't doing anything super interesting with it like don't get me wrong but like yeah <laughs> but now suddenly everyone has an opinion they have a, they suddenly have an opinion like you didn't have an opinion when I was doing this before and like you didn't know that I was doing this before but like I was I was just making fish glow it wasn't that cool <laughs> I mean that was pretty cool it was pretty cool it was pretty cool you can go read about it if you want to um but like that's <laughs> why it's important for scientists to communicate policy Look at that. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Bring it back around. Did the thing. I think that's the soapbox that I get in, get on like almost every episode of the podcast is like, so this is why we need to vote. <laughs> okay. Because... <laughs> yes. If you don't vote, you don't get to have an opinion. If you, if you can legally vote and you have the ability to do so, you don't get to have an opinion. That is my whole thing. Um, yep. You had your shot. If you didn't take it, don't want to hear it. <laughs> oh, so now, now listeners won't hear it just from me. <laughs> it's like, look at, there's another one that does the same thing. As me. We're here. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. That, yeah. I was an RA in undergrad, and like that was like my whole thing. I was like, I don't care who you vote for. I actually do not care. I care that you have decided to exercise your right to vote. And if you want to tell me about it, great. If you don't, that's also fine. However, it's not hard to figure out what my opinions are, except for maybe sometimes. And, but like, I just want you to be civically active. It was a very big thing then, big thing now. It's about voting in federal elections. It's about showing up to your city when they're building a Walmart and you don't want them to. Doesn't matter. Got to be involved. Yeah, or like when your state senator goes into labor at the DFL convention and doesn't get the nomination, so you have Super to go chill. make sure she gets the nomination. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. That was me yes. last summer. Or like, run. Run for office. Like, you know, you absolutely can. I mean, I know I joke about it, and I really am not going to, but like, I think it is really awesome for people that are like, I have opinions. I've got thoughts. I'm an expert on this. I don't know. I've been doing a lot of like policy writing papers as of late to like legislators um, about like health policy issues. And so like really looking at how do you better target, targets maybe not the right word, whatever. How do you better like engage with legislators that are actively working on either health policy, science policy for you guys, like more education policy based. Like how do you research them, understand what their background is, and how do you kind of more effectively communicate that to them, and how do you effectively communicate that research, Um, but it's also important to be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, like, 
on health issues that we had like people that actually know about healthcare like doing it um like there is there is some you know like in Minnesota right Minnesota is one I'm most familiar with Minnesota and Iowa um and they they're not professional legislators right that's not what their main job is right they just kind of show up there during legislative session and so first off they don't know everything under the sun like absolutely they don't right and no one should be expecting them to right they have Mm -hmm. a staff and it's not very many of them and so it's on people that are experts in the field to actually advocate for the shit they care about right and so that's super important and also right like if you are somebody that is like hey i am really passionate about what's happening at my state level or my county level or my city level you know like things that are actually like really important and you're like hey i'm an educator and i'm really passionate about you know what i'm doing in terms of my education my educational philosophy run for a school board run like guess who makes those decisions (laughs) you Mm -hmm. and so I, i i'm really passionate about getting people that are you know, like, I really want scientists and medical healthcare folks to like get into these positions because they do matter. They matter a lot. And it's time for like folks that are, um, you know, not, um, I guess, yeah, the, the, you know, like this is what they're passionate about. This is what they need to do. And so they bring their expertise somewhere where it, it matters. What does being a scientist mean to you? LOL. Um, <laughs> 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 um, okay, so like, look, so I was down and I was date like uh, probably like a couple of weeks ago, I was like visiting a friend um, and like kind of like in this thing of like, ooh, continuous learning. She was doing a lecture on campus on something I know literally zero about. And so I was like, oh, fun, we'll go. And that was like a totally different thing. But I was down there and I like went and hung out with like one of my old poli sci professors. Um, incidentally, he was one of our endorsers when we were down in Iowa. It was like a pretty big deal, um, like toot toot on that little horn. But um, yeah, right. Eh. Um, it was like the first bipartisan person we ever got. It's, it's fine. He flips parties for the whole thing. It was a big deal, whatever. Sometimes just like networking is good. Um, and so basically, I was down in his lecture and we were just like talking about UK politics or whatever, right? So like, basically we were down there and he like referred to me as a geneticist. And I was like, that's hilarious. I haven't done like genetic stuff in, again, since like the year 2017. And that was the last time I did like real quote unquote, what I refer to affectionately as lab land work. Um, And so like, I know that I have really been on kind of a journey of like, what is a scientist? Um, I have a mentor at work and I was doing a a wise or women in science and engineering um, kind of thing with a whole bunch of like freshmen at the University of Minnesota last year. And I was like, I'm not a real scientist anymore. I've stopped sciencing. I am so focused on like other things. I have stopped sciencing. I've stopped sciencing. And he was like, well, what do you mean you stopped sciencing? Like, first off, you still have a STEM degree. Um, you're just applying it differently than, than I think what you probably envisioned yourself doing because I'm not in the lab anymore, right? I, you know, and I think that's what I really thought scientists did. Um, and I think he really put it nicely where he was like you 
are taking core concepts that you learned from being a scientist and being somebody that's analytically minded and focused on these different things and just applying it differently. And so I think for me now, I see a scientist as somebody that takes concepts of understanding, um, you know, how to analyze different things in a, with a critical lens, um, be it something that's more physics-based, something more engineering-based, something more biology-based, genetics-based, whatever, and being able to look at it and report out what it, what it means, or at least get some good summary of it, or know how to ask questions to get those, those answers. All right, science news. Um, something I ran across on Twitter that majorly caught my attention with the headlines that a baby was born with three people's DNA in the UK. What? So obviously <laughs> that caught my attention. Um, digging into it, it's actually super cute and cool, which you could probably expect from the um, title of the article. Um, but what has been done in the UK um, where DNA of the baby, most of it comes from their two parents, but around 0.1% of them comes from another donor woman. Um, And the nice little diagram they provide for us um, kind of shows that they are able to do this either before or after egg fertilization. Um, And they've been doing this um, for individuals who have a mitochondrial disorder, um, genetic disorder, um, where they take... Um, the parent's embryo or the mother's egg, taking out the nucleus and placing the nucleus into a donor um, mitochondrial or egg cell. Emily, jump in whenever I'm saying the wrong words. (laughs) (laughs) And so it'll have the parent's or mother's nucleus in there and then the rest of the egg um, comes from the donor. So um, with a higher chance of being able to grow up without this mitochondrial gene disorder. It did say that in some cases there still comes that uh, mitochondrial um, gene disorder, so it's not 100%, but still pretty dang cool here. Um, I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool with this, like, procedure, like, whatever it is that they do, some pretty cool science stuff is, I'm just sort of gonna keep it up. That's more my <laughs> Really cool is. science stuff. But, like, that they can kind of reduce that risk for something that, you know, this could... I imagine, improve quality of life for people. And a mother, you know, probably doesn't want to see their child with um, something that has probably caused them to, you know, have some difficulties in life. And even that, the fact that science can prevent some of that is exciting. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely something I've never heard of before. Um, But just running across that on Twitter, there's always some cool science stuff going on. Biology is always cool science stuff. I think most of our science news comes from biology. It it gives her pretty cool stuff. I mean, I know the name now because I'm staring at it. Mitochondrial donation treatment, which is pretty cool. I mean, even even just the name of it. We've all heard about the mitochondria. Am I right, guys? Join me. Join me. Mitochondria. The powerhouse of the cell. Okay, okay. My, my, my pet peeve with that statement is that it is grammatically incorrect because mitochondria is a plural. Oh. Um, and so the mitochondria are Our the powerhouse of, of the, the cells. cells. There we go. They're plural. So, now we all know. Yeah. Mitochondria are the powerhouse <laughs> of the cells. Or mitochondrion. 
Right, it's like the individual. It's like the difference between data and data. Isn't there? Isn't it data and data? Yeah. You said it exactly. Data and data. Yes. Yeah. Once do they mean different things? Data and datum for sure do. Datum. Datum. Yeah. You know, like when you're talking to your dad and you start your sentence with mom, dad, um. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sorry, good. That's good. Good. I stole the dad joke from Alex. <laughs> so, this is a wrap on season two. Woo-hoo. Our scientists in training. Sometimes I can't believe we've made it this far. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and we're going to keep going. It's really exciting, everything that we've done in just two years. And there's more topics we thought about during the season, and we mm-hmm. decided for next season, so we still got stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. There will always be there stuff to talk about. That's just true. We're just very interesting people. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> we find ourselves quite funny. <laughs> I like our ideas. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. And now we're moving on to these stages in our program. They're exciting, nerve-wracking, all of the above. Why'd you have to bring this back to school? <laughs> just saying, just saying that we're not just fun people. We're informed people. If you we're su- super smart and fun and awesome. And super humble. Yeah. And super. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone more humble than us. It's also 80 uh, degrees out. The semester's done. Oh. Happiness bar. We may still have stuff to do in the summer. Don't get us wrong. But it's still summer. We get some breather room yeah. there with... Maybe there's not any homework. A pool. Yeah. A baseball game. Yeah. Quite a few concerts. Mm. A trip down to the city, I think, is a must. Get canes. Yeah. Canes, But yeah, summer brings a nice time for us to do everything that we can. <laughs> and sometimes... Nothing. And sometimes yes. nothing, yeah. and that's perfect. A good fine. just sitting in your living room, just staring at your TV. Emily and I will be reading quite a few books. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm getting my stack ready for my upcoming trip, and I'm... Oh, true. So excited to just crank through some books. I'm at 16 of 23. Oh, wow. That was my goal this year, 23 books, and I'm at 16. I definitely, I don't think I can match that energy, but I'm kind of getting there. I, I get the appeal. Oh, not as good in the talk. semester, but a lot no, during the this will, breaks. This summer. Yeah. Add me on Goodreads. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh-huh. So we'll see you in the fall. Hags. <laughs> it took me a second. Have a great summer, guys. The Scientists in Training podcast is not associated with North Dakota State University. Any opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, are not reflective of the university.